And after that prayer, I feel like I don't need to preach anymore. It's so good. Um, if you've been on the internet, on CNN, Yahoo, whatever it is, you guys have probably know what happened in Paris um, this last week. And... Um, As ridiculous as it is of what happened, um, we do need to take some time to pray. And not only pray for the families in Paris, but pray for the enemies that um, attacked the very families. Um, You know, it's one of those weird things where as a Christian you see that stuff and you're like, man, what the, how does that happen? You know, and how, how can someone justify doing that to hundreds of people for no reason? And um, so if you guys don't mind, uh, take some time to pray, and then um, I'll close it out and we'll start the sermon. So uh, go ahead and I'll have you guys pray just for a little bit by yourselves, and then I'll, I'll close it out. Father, we come before you as people who are broken over the news that we have seen and heard in Paris, God. And Lord, there's a great weight in all of our hearts and just just the suffering and the destruction that was caused um, to these people, God. But Lord, We come before you proclaiming that you are still good in the midst of the suffering, God. And that your character never changes, even though something as terrible as this has happened. Lord, I do, I pray for the families who have experienced the loss, the losses. I pray for those who have been hurt and and honestly some destroyed just because the loss of a loved one or the, they've been victim and victimized and they Maybe they've been injured through this. God, I honestly, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would be open to, open to seeing you and, and coming before you and loving you and getting to know who you really are, God. I also pray for peace and comfort for those families who are mourning at this very moment. God, I also pray for the enemies who felt the need to do this first natural reaction is to be so mad and curse them and want them to be destroyed just as much as they destroyed others. But Lord, will you bring them to yourself? Will you change their hearts? And will you love them where they are, God? Save them for they're lost and they're blind and they're broken as we once were. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I don't know how you follow that up with a sermon after that. Um, So go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 
Um, the way we're going to go about this is a little different. Um, usually, we give you the main point of the message right up front, but what we're going to do is give you a nice little snippet. It's like doing a puzzle. If you guys like puzzles, this is your kind of day. Um, and it's a three-piece puzzle, two-piece puzzle probably, so it's not that difficult. Um, but what I'm going to do is give you the first, the first piece, and then we're going to fill in the pieces uh, throughout the sermon. And then by the end of it, you're going to see how we came up with the main point that we're going to discuss. Um, so the way, I, the way we're going to approach this sermon is pretty simple. How many of you guys have been downtown? Which is probably all of you guys. And everyone enjoy, well, besides Chicago and you know, over there. Um, but downtown, they're notorious of having stoplights every five feet. And so the way usually it goes is oh, you go a little bit, you stop. Go a little bit and you stop, and you go a little bit and you stop. Well, that's kind of how we're going to approach the sermon today. We're going to go a little bit, we're going to stop and talk, and we're going to go a little bit, we're going to stop and talk. But I promise we'll have we'll get to the destination in time for you guys to watch the Seahawks win against the Cardinals. Um, so don't worry. So as you guys are turning there, um, I'll start reading, and then we'll we'll get to work. Um, we got twenty five more minutes. All right. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So the first piece I'm going to give you in this puzzle is that Jesus Christ came to redeem and renew sinners by paying the penalty of sin. So Jesus Christ came to redeem and renew sinners by paying the penalty of sin. Now, when you read this passage, there's a, there's a big old word that comes up a few times. And usually in Scripture, if, if something is said more than once, the author wants you to know something about that subject. So he's not just saying it more. He's not, he's not just saying it twice just to save, just for giggles or uh, just because he feels like saying it. There's a point that he wants you to know. So therefore, we saw the word sin come up a few times in the passage. So therefore, we need to talk about it a little bit. And last time I came up here, we did talk very extensively about sin. But here's the thing about sin: is we all are are on a level playing field when it comes to sin. You guys get me there? Like, there isn't a JV, there isn't a JV center and there's a varsity center, all right? There, there's no two separate teams where, you know, if you were if you in high school tried out for a football team or a baseball team, you guys got split up in freshman team because you weren't that good and you got the JV because you were kind of decent and you want to be all right. And then varsity, obviously, you were the best. Uh, well, in Christianity, it doesn't work like that. We all have a level playing field. Regardless, even though we have a level, a level playing field, there's different ways we go about sin. And I'll, I'll illustrate like this. There's bro A and bro B. Bro A, you can tell this bro is living in sin. This guy's indulging himself in alcohol. He's, I mean, he's indulging in this interesting relationships that probably should not happen in these sexual relationships. He's probably just indulging himself in drugs. I mean, you look at this guy, you're like, okay, dude, I can see... The, law, the lawlessness in your life here. 
Like he is indulging himself in sin. And then you have row B. Cleaned up? Not me, you know. But he's cleaned up. He may go to church once in a while. He may. He may even feed the pigeons once a year. That's how nice he really is. At work, he works hard. He's a nice guy to the employees. And he may do some church stuff. But he has no affections for the Lord. He has no relationship with him. He, has, he doesn't want anything to do with God. You see the two different extremes. We may say, you know what, this guy's varsity sinner. He's not as bad. So we'll put him JV, because JV, you're not as bad as you think, but you're, 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 still, you're still all right. So we'll put him in JV section. But the thing is, or, it's just the same, because they have the same issue. Both are saying, God, guess what? It's cute what you've done here, but I got this. I'd rather indulge myself in my first love, which is myself. I would rather please myself. I would rather do the things for myself. Like, you're a good idea, but I got this. See, both parties have the same issue. They, they preferred creation over the creator. See, not only have they preferred creation over the creator, but both have claimed that they are, they are smarter than God. Now, we may, we may never say that in our lives, but the way we live our lives claim that we are smarter than God. God had put certain laws in place, and we're saying, God, actually, even though I can't pass junior high math class, I think this is a better idea. Even though I got a C- in English, I got you. Like, Actually, this language is more appropriate in the setting. And we claim that, okay, God, you may have infinite wisdom, but I think I'm smarter. And not only do we, not only does both playing fields have, um, not only do, do they prefer creation over or creator, and not and not only do they think they're smarter than God, but they fail to acknowledge Him in all things. They both fail to acknowledge Him in all things, and it's really simple. How many of you guys like steak? I love steak. We may have some vegetarians in here. Good luck. Um, I guess vegetables are good. I, I'm not there yet. Um, but steak is really good, especially on 24th Street Cafe. They make the best steak ever for breakfast. If you guys are hungry, go there. But even though the steak is so good, what do we fail to do? We fail to give him the glory in that moment. See, he's the one who gave us the very taste buds to taste that steak, right? He's the very one who gave the wisdom to the people to create certain spices so that that steak can be good. See, something as little as enjoying a steak was meant to give him glory, to acknowledge him in that very moment. And something so petty like that, we have failed to do. See, God had created all things for his glory, and yet we have chosen our own glory. See, God had created our souls to have him to be our first love, and yet we say, God, actually, I will be my first love. 
We all have done that. So we all have an even playing field when it comes to sin. And because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there is a price that needs to be paid. And our situation is so bad. It's so bad that God himself had to come and appear to us. The fact that the Son of God had to humble himself to the point where he had to be a a man and come into this disgusting world and to come to us, it's that bad where he had to come to us. There's nothing we can do to go to him. He had to come here. That's that bad. It was that bad. And it also shows how inexcusable sin is in the eyes of the Lord. It's not a popular message to say. It's not your prototypical Christmas message. You don't see in the Hobby Lobby, sin is inexcusable to God. Joy to the world. You don't see that. But it's true. It is. But even though it's so inexcusable, it's also forgivable. The same sin that's also, that is inexcusable is also forgivable. How is it forgivable? Because of what Christ has done on the cross. Here's one side note. Don't let the, cross, don't let the message of the cross get old in your life, Okay? Don't let it be just one little thing that, oh, God, I already know that. Thanks. He's preaching on that again. Are you serious? Come on, give me something else. See, for the Christian, there is nothing else. You realize because of the cross, of what has been done on the cross, Jesus lifted, carried, and removed all of our sin at that very moment. He lifted, he carried, and removed all of our sin at that moment. You and I deserved the payment of death. And Christ said, no, I will take their place. Because I can't, I am sinless, I am perfect. The land that has to be slain has to be perfect. There, there is no impurity. There could be no impurity in this land that has to be slain. And the blood that will be shed will remove all sin for those who call upon his name. And that's a beautiful truth about the cross. As he lifted, he carried and removed all of your sin. So we'll keep going. Verse 6. At this rate, you guys are thinking, how are we going to get past, how are we going to get through the text? Okay. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. We're going to read verse 9 because there's a direct correlation with 6 and 9. So if you can, look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If you were just to observe this text from a bird eye view, I mean, you're up basically up here like, okay, from this point of view, What it looks like, what he's saying is, okay, because Jesus Christ has died for you, because he has carried, he has lifted, 
uh, carried and removed all of your sin. Now live perfectly. You see the language here. You see, let's see, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 9, you see no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And he cannot keep on sinning. You see phrases like that, you're like, all right, so um, perfection. Like, what are you trying to get at here? Because if you are hitting perfection, I am not there. But what John is saying, in light of what has been done for you, in light of God paying the penalty of sin. See, here's the the cool thing. See, Jesus Christ didn't say, you know what? Hey, guess what? I died for you. Good luck. I paid for all your sin. He didn't just yell that and say that and tell you, good luck, bro. Now obey all my commandments. Well, how's that really good news if you just tell me you forgave me, right? Like, all right, cool. You told me you paid the penalty. That's great. Awesome. Now what? What do I do now? He doesn't just stop there. See, because Christ has taken away our sin, we have a new liberty and freedom. How's that possible? In verse 9, John says he puts a seed in you. Another way of saying that is when he puts a seed in you, he now dwells within you. And now that he dwells within you, you dwell with him. What happens is you guys become one. There is a direct union with him. And he's saying, now that you dwell in me, no longer do you have to be dominated by sin. No longer are you having to be enslaved by sin. See, now that you live in him, you no longer live in sin. I'm not saying be perfect. I'm I'm trying to give you a reality. I'm trying to give you a new perspective. I'm trying to give you a new mind of what what actually happened on that cross. What actually happened was, when you have professed my name, when you have surrendered to me, when you believe that I have paid the payment in full, I put my seed in you. I now dwell in you the same way you dwell in me. So now that you live in me, you no longer live in sin. No longer is sin something that you progressively and passionately and unrepentantly indulge in. See, the beautiful thing about the Christian life is you will actually start to see change in your life. You will actually start to see certain desires start to shift. Once your affections were only upon yourself, now they've shifted to have all your affection towards him and what he's about and who he is. Not only about who he is, but what he has done for you. And that's a miracle in itself, because before you were saved, you had no desires for him. The only desire that you have was for yourself. And God worked a miracle in your life and said, guess what? I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to live within you, because I want you to live, I want you to live like, I created you to live in a certain way. I created your heart to be filled by a certain thing. What Christ is saying is, I redeemed your heart to, I brought you back to what you were designed for, to God. You were designed for God. Your eternal soul was designed to only be filled by God. You may try to satisfy yourself with these other things. You may try to pursue your other, these other desires, but you know for sure they don't satisfy. You know for sure that there is nothing in this world that can literally give me pleasure the way I'm supposed to. 
We're, we're pleasure-driven people. We do things because it gives us pleasure, and it satisfies us. And you see the world continue to try to indulge themselves. When I say the world, I'm, I'm talking about myself. Like, I didn't grow up in the church, so I'm, I'm right there. I know what it's like to indulge yourself and say, you know what, actually, this is going to give me great pleasure. And it didn't, so I'm going to continue to pursue it harder. Maybe a better version of that would give me better pleasure. And it's just like this hellspin of like, oh my gosh, it's not giving me pleasure. And I'm rolling, rolling, rolling down to the point where I'm depressed on the floor, crying my eyes out because I don't know what's going on in my life. God said, no, I will redeem you to bring you back to what you were designed for. You were designed to live in me, and you were designed for me to live in you. All right, let's keep going. (laughs) This is something, this is a verse I'm so excited about. This is my favorite part. All All the rest was good, but this is my favorite part. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. There's a lot of righteousness words in there. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I want you to have that word destroy in your mind for a minute. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." See, to me, this passage is like the gladiator version of Christmas. You guys get what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of great Christmas stories out there. Right now, my wife and I, we're in this, like, mode of watching these cheesy Christmas movies on Netflix. And going from those zero star, we were inspired by um, Catalina and Larry about their pursuing the one star movies. So we went the route with Christmas. So we even indulged ourselves in these Christmas movies. And some of it's, like... As cheesy as they are, there's some of them are good. You guys might want to check that out. <laughs> and then you go to Hobby Lobby, you see Jesus is the reason for the season, and then joy to the world, peace on earth. And you get great truth, right? It's true. And then you see these Christmas movies, I mean, it's a feel-good deal. You know, first it's like they're looking for the lost love, they're looking for the first love, and Christmas seems to be the time they, they find the love. And, you know, there's just this whole scene of feel-goodness. What I love about this passage is it destroys that a little bit, right? It gives you the reality of what Christmas is really about. And the, fa- if the fact that he came and had to die for your sin isn't gory enough, let's talk about the destruction of something. See, our God had a mission, and it started in Genesis 3. What happened in Genesis? God had created the world, and he said it was good. He created man and woman, and it was all good. Nothing was wrong. Everything was beautiful. No fighting. You know, everyone was agreeing with something. She's cooking great meals. He's loving his, loving his wife. Like, things are good in there, right? One day, God tells Eve, tells Adam and Eve, enjoy all this, okay? I'm paraphrasing, okay? You're not going to find this part. Enjoy all this creation. Enjoy me forever. Here's one thing I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat the fruit of the tree. Because why? 
because you will surely die. So what does Satan come and do? Becomes a serpent. And he goes to Eve first. And what does he do? First, even him going to Eve first destroys the order of creation. He was so deceitful where instead of going to the man first, he went to, the, he went to Eve first. See, Adam was created to lead Eve. He was created to rule and have dominion over this earth. And Eve was to be that great helper. And I'm not trying to get into that kind of subject. I'm just letting you know what was designed, okay? So Satan comes to Eve. And he looks at Eve. He's like, you know what? I bet you God didn't really mean that. I know he said he may surely die, but you know what he really meant was, if you were to eat of this apple, you would die for it. You know, like it's so good that, you know, there, there's some deceitfulness with it. He's letting, him, letting her know, like, God didn't really mean this. Go ahead, take a bite. Because actually God, what he's, what, he's really, what he's really trying to say is, if you eat of this, you'll be just like him. And what does she do? She eats it. Not only does she eat it, she tempts Adam, and Adam falls and he eats it, and destruction happens. Chaos has entered the world. Chaos has entered the world. So God, in the cool of the night, which is really weird to me, because if I was God, I would have blown them up already. You sin against me already? Like, two chapters into it, you're doing this? I would have, good thing I'm not God. He's merciful and loving and holy. It's all good. No, I'm not. Um, so he goes in the cool of the night. And who does he call out first? Adam. And what does Adam do? Adam's like, uh, I don't know why you're talking to me. Like, she's the one who did it. The one you created, she did it. So you guys have the issue. You and I, we're good. Like, I only did it because she did it. So, therefore, it's her fault. You guys work it out. I'll go back to creation and, you know, go play with the monkeys or something. But this is your guys' issue, so let's handle this. And God's like, no, 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 no. Where were you? Where were you? Then he looks at the devil. And then you could go through this chapter. There's curses about to happen. You know, we have childbearing and stuff like that. Like, you don't need to get into details of that. But then he looks at the serpent. And he says, from the seed of this woman. Even though she sinned against me, but from the seed of this woman. He is going to crush you. See, it was always God's mission to destroy the devil from the beginning. Now, the other issue that we need to address is the word devil. Because now we're getting to some weird stuff. Like I said, I've only been saved about six years. So with the devil, the word devil, if you were to ask me like five years ago, dude, what do you think about the devil? I'm like, bro, are you talking about the guy in the red jumpsuit who comes out once a year? That's all I think about. Some may have the view of he's behind every little thing that happens. For example, my wife and I are coming to church today. And come to find out, 
we park, everything is good. I'm like, oh, I'm super nervous for the sermon. I can't wait to preach it, though, all these things. And my wife is like, so I hear something coming out of the tire. Excuse me? You hear what coming out of the tire? Kind of find out there's air just all up out of it. It's a brand new, not brand new, but it's a newer Fiat. And next thing you know, like, I can't, I'm glad Rich isn't here. She would have made fun of me for this happening. Um, the fact that I have a Fiat. But then we find out there's a razor blade in it. A razor blade. How does that happen? You guys can tell me after how that happens. But it happened. Now, some people would say, you know what, bro? The devil didn't want you to go to church today. He put that razor blade in there and could have slowed you down. In all seriousness, what happened? Someone planted that razor blade, and I was the first victim. That's what happened. It was you. I knew it. I knew it. But that's what happened. But the other side of the view is this total extreme. Is, dude, the devil, it's a little childish, right? You really think he's real? And I relate to that as well. Actually more with that than anything. How can you believe in such a mystical figure? And the question that I was challenged with was what I'm going to challenge if you're in that boat as well, was, fine, if you're in that boat, if you, don't, if you don't want to believe that he is real, you must come up, that makes sense, you must come up with a philosophical system of why things like what happened in Paris happens. Seriously, you have to come up with something that makes sense of why those things happen. What about in Somalia with the warlords? How do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of the genocides that happen there? Some may say, well, they lack education. Fine. What do you do with Nazi Germany? Because at their time, they were the most educated nation at that time. So if education was the, the problem or the solution then how do you explain them killing 1.5 million people? Not only that, but let's think about our own morality. Christmas is around the corner, but guess what? So is New Year's. What happens with New Year's? I don't know where some of your guys' minds went. What happens in New Year's is you guys come up with New Year's resolutions. How did it go? Great, huh? My New Year's resolution was to get back in the gym and get back to my top physical shape. Well, that didn't happen. My wife was shaking her head. Nope. Come on, you're on my side. (laughs) But you have to come up with a system that makes sense of why those things happen. And the Bible will say there is a person behind it all. See, not only is there a person, but there's works behind it. And the works that the business that he is in is he's in the deceitful business. You know how he deceived Eve in that very in the garden? He's in the same business today. And the way he deceives us today is one, he tells us sin is not as bad as you think. In 
and two, you're not in a, you're not in a bad situation. Sin isn't bad as you think, and you're also not bad in situation. You're not that bad in the situation. What he actually does, he says, you know what? Why don't you try harder to fix yourself? White knuckle it. See what happens. It can work. But many of us in our lives have experienced it doesn't work like that. Some of your stories has been you fell on your knees and you had to surrender because you knew I cannot, I can't do this anymore. That was my story. I tried to change my life so bad, so hard, and all it, all it left me with me trying hard was on my knees crying because I didn't know what else to do because I didn't realize I was in bondage. See, because of the fall, we are all born into this sinful nature in this sinful state. See, because of the fall, we all have the seed of sin within us. Last time I was up here, I said that you, the reason why you sin is because you're a sinner. The reason why you lie is because you're a liar. Okay, you're not a sinner when you just do bad stuff. You're a sinner because that's just who you are. That's your, that's your identity. We're held captive with sin. And we're prisoners and we need to be rescued. And all of you guys know that. Why? Because all, it seems like majority of the people here love superhero movies. That's why Avengers is such a big deal. Superman, Batman, like you have all these superhero movies. It's like, we love the story of someone being rescued. We see the person who's held in captive. We want them to be rescued. We love that. We'll pay $15 in popcorn and Mountain Dew to go see that. There's something in us that, that loves that story. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The story is true. See, Jesus didn't come with fairy wings and sprinkling glitter all over the place. He came with the mission to destroy something. He came with the mission to destroy the devil himself. Not only the devil himself, but destroy the very work that he has created. The chaos that is with humanity right now. He invaded enemy, enemy territory. He came and he searched out and he destroyed him. How? By his atonement. By his atonement, since penalty has been vetoed from you. See, another word for the devil is he is known as the great accuser. See, before you surrendered your life to Christ, he had the very right to accuse you of every sin that you committed. And because of that accusation, that was what brought you shame, sort of brought you guilt. And that's the state where you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And he had the very right to accuse you. But, but, but because of Christ taking your place on the cross, by his atonement, no longer, no longer is that sin over you. No longer <clears throat> do you owe anything to God. You don't need to try harder to do all these five steps. Surrender to him because he has done the work that needed to be done. So by his atonement, he, the sin's penalty has been vetoed. And because God put his seed in you, he brings you into a new life to the point where you are born again. And because of that truth, he destroyed the very power of sin over you. Because you live in him, no longer, like I said earlier, are you dominated over, dominated by sin. You have a new king now. 
remember Rich preached a sermon, I think a couple of weeks ago, about saying you don't have to sin. And it's true, you don't have to because you, ha- you are new in him. Because he lives in you and you live in him, sin's power has no reign over you. You were once dominated by sin, but no longer as you live in Christ because he is your king. So he destroyed the very power that was over you. The last thing he did is by virtue. By him coming back, he promises that he is coming back. And when he comes back, what is he going to do? He's going to remove all of sin's presence. See, right now we're still in this, we're, we're still in sin's presence. As you guys know, with Paris and just all the crazy things that's happening in Bakersfield for all places, stealing cars and murders and all this stuff. But one day, those of you who are in him, every pain, every sorrow, every tear, every anything dark will be soon will be away. How do we know that's true? Do you guys remember the story with Mary in the tomb? Mary goes to the tomb. What does she find? She finds nothing. She finds the tomb empty. And the beautiful truth about that is that the tomb was not empty. That means he didn't win. But because the tomb was empty, it shows, tells us that he has been victorious over that the penalty of sin is a pain and fool because he's raised from the dead. He defeated death. And that since the sin no longer has power because I destroy the power, I now live, I'm alive. So since power has no reign over me, one pastor said they, that the empty tomb is like the eternal monument that Christ is victorious. Christians, he is victorious. And now that you live in him, you are victorious as well. So the main point of this whole sermon is Jesus came to redeem and renew sinners by paying the penalty of sin and by destroying the devil. Jesus Christ came to redeem and renew sinners by paying the penalty of sin and by destroying the works of the devil. I'm going to close with these two things. In verse 28, verses 28 through 3, chapter 3, verse 3, there's a few things that I want to encourage you guys with. First, if you haven't already, child of God, run to the Father. Run to the Father. Run to the loving Father. Those of you who have already run to the Father, continue to walk in Him. Keep your eyes on Him by reading your word and by fellowshipping with one another. Don't neglect gathering together. And as a child of God, foster humility. It is a great pleasure that we are his child and that we are the servant and the most high king. But there is no room for ego in the kingdom of God. Foster humility. Feel secured. This is true. The work has been done. Feel secure. He wants you to be assured. Now, you may need to reevaluate some things, and that's my second thing I'm going to challenge you with. 
But those of you who are progressively walking with him and you see change in your life, you see your, your affections are being stirred up for the things of him, feel, feel so secured because that's a proof that you are alive. And rest in the certainty that you will become like him. One day you're going to see him, and that's going to be the final work. You're going to be completely like Jesus Christ. So those of you who are passionately and wanting to be just like him, and you're so in sorrow and guilt because you know you're not there yet, can I encourage you? You're going to get there. And I promise you, you are going to get there. Here's my challenge for you. And this could be discussed in the missional communities. Um, we're moving this week, so uh, this won't be discussed in our missional community, so good luck. Um, but in which ways do you live like sin is no big deal at all? In which ways do you live like sin is no big deal at all? Because he addresses sins, he addresses righteousness. There is, there is a walk that we are called to. So my challenge to you is in which ways do you live like sin is no big deal at all? My second question is, in which ways have you become lazy about putting sin to death in your life? In which ways have you become lazy about putting sin to death in your life? It's a tough walk. We need one another. We need one another to persevere to the end. But guys, in today's truth, rest in the truth that he came to redeem and renew you because he paid the penalty of your sin and he destroyed the devil on your behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just honestly just thank you so much that you would work um, in the midst of our brokenness, that you come to love us where we are today. But God, I, I pray for those who have not come to you, that those who who may have some sort of inkling inside, but they just, I don't know what's holding them back, Lord, but I pray that they would just surrender their lives to you so that they may be free and so that they may live like they were created to live. God, I thank you so much that your word um, never fails, that there is power in your word, and maybe in the midst of my brokenness, that that your word will, will always penetrate the heart. Thank you for making us alive again in you, God. And this is in your name I pray. Amen.